chapter six of mademoiselle x by lenoe falconer this librivox recording is in the public domain as evelyn tells the story of that memorable night she dwells with especial emphasis on the to her awful pause which followed the report of the pistol an interval no doubt exaggerated by her startled senses during which the people in the supper-room who had heard what had happened as well as those in the hall who had seen remained motionless as if paralyzed with surprise captain leslie was the first to recover himself and mounting the intervening steps in two bounds he snatched the still smoking pistol from mademoiselle Ix's hand the action vividly impressed upon evelyn the full import and horror of what had happened and even as the startled crowd poured into the hall she swayed and would have fallen but for the timely aid of two upholding arms the darkness and the roaring waters that seemed to close above her receded and she was held back even on the verge of insensibility by perry's voice speaking as if from a far distance evelyn evelyn don't be frightened he is not killed with a long gasping sigh she opened her eyes lifted her head and looked round the first tremor of dismay and terror had given place to a dull numbness which she had often experienced in dreams and with far less emotion than a well-acted play would have excited in her she turned her eyes slowly from one feature to another of this extraordinary scene the count whose head drooped helplessly on his breast carried towards the library by her father and four or five other men her mother half fainting on a couch at the opposite side of the hall surrounded by a cluster of sympathetic women and everywhere murmuring groups of men with grave looks and women whose white terrified faces contrasted weirdly with their gay dresses and sparkling ornaments a central point of complete repose in all this confusion was afforded by its author who stood still or rather leant against the wall a few steps below that on which evelyn herself was standing a little lower still captain leslie kept unobtrusive but attentive watch prepared to intercept her first attempt to escape but his vigilance was needless mademoiselle x gave not the slightest sign of any such intention her arms pendant her hands clasped loosely together her head thrown back against the tapestried wall with steady eyes and melancholy firm mouth she might have stood for the statue of patience awaiting the inevitable it is a dream thought evelyn it must be a dream i wish i could wake she shifted her position restlessly and perry prepared to be severely repulsed for his service timidly withdrew his arm but to his surprise she caught it quickly in the clasp of both her slender hands and clung to him till her bright curls almost touched his shoulder it was perry's turn to think he was dreaming and yet he hardly divined the full and flattering significance of that half unconscious wholly instinctive gesture mr merrington followed by mr harold and mr golding pushed through the crowd below and came hastily up to the group on the staircase exclaiming as he came i can't believe she did who saw the pistol fired i did for one said captain leslie and so must miss merrington have done for she was close behind the woman when she fired mr merrington turned to his daughter and read her unspoken witness in her face good god he exclaimed recoiling and leaning against the banisters what is the meaning of it 
is she mad i shouldn't think she was mad said mr harold glancing at mademoiselle Ixe, who was looking sadly and even deprecatingly at mrs merrington i should say she belongs to some political society fox says he believes the count has been threatened more than once most likely she is a nihilist impossible exclaimed mr merrington why she has been teaching the children for weeks he paused and his speech sounded as inconsequent as many another which only gives one link in a long chain of thought for in the twinkling of an eye he beheld this assassin as he had known her during all these quiet commonplace days sitting demurely at table knitting beside mrs merrington's armchair keeping time beside the piano while evelyn played wandering over the sunny lawn with the children clamouring joyously at her heels or later still with winifred's pale face pillowed on her breast and one little arm curled trustingly round her neck can such things be thought poor mr merrington and then mademoiselle Ix spoke and the sound of her voice seemed to silence every other in the hall forgive me monsieur i have used your protection to attain my end it was to kill the count that i came here i have tracked him for months i and others i followed him to england i became governess to your children that i might meet him we knew he would not fail to visit mrs fox before he left england i did not wish to stain your house with his blood i would have shot him at lingford castle yesterday but he escaped me in this matter i have been unfortunate and why in the devil's name did you wish to kill him cried mr merrington what harm has he done you me none replied mademoiselle Ix scornfully what would that signify if he had he is not my enemy he is the enemy of my people and of humanity too ah if you knew all that he has inflicted on innocent men and even women you would shudder to eat at the same table with him he has been tried and judged by his fellow-creatures i would have been his executioner this is all very fine said mr merrington but in england mademoiselle we call this sort of thing murder and we hang people for it evelyn gave a slight cry and sank down upon the steps in england you are quite right said mademoiselle Ixe, composedly in england you have a law which protects and avenges you in our country it is not so our law is the will of our tyrants we must protect we must avenge ourselves vengeance is mine interrupted mr golding holding up his hand vengeance is mine saith the lord i will repay mademoiselle Ixe turned first on him and then on the picture above her a swift keen glance bright as the flash of a steel blade true monsieur and sometimes his minister is a woman ah what is the good of talking to her said mr merrington the question is what are we to do with her now a consultation followed of which evelyn remembers only the conclusion which was that mr merrington should exercise his right as a magistrate to detain mademoiselle Ix for the present and send as quickly as possible to carchester for a police inspector it was decided that her own room would be as safe a prison as any other and she consented with great readiness to proceed there at once something like a sigh of relief rose up from the spectators below as escorted by the three gentlemen she went quietly upstairs and disappeared through the red swing-door she paused once only as she went to look at evelyn 
who with her head upon her lap was now sobbing bitterly this poor child said mademoiselle x in a tone of the tenderest pity some one should take her to bed mr merrington gave a distracted glance at his daughter as he passed parry he said over his shoulder like a good fellow send some one for susan no no said evelyn putting out her hand to detain parry as he turned to go not susan oh help me i must go with mademoiselle x i mean with papa feverish excitement had succeeded her previous apathy even with parry's help she could not move nearly as quickly as she evidently longed to do they arrived however just in time to see mr merrington locking the door of mademoiselle x's room behind her i would leave the key in suggested mr harold it will make it more difficult for her to play tricks with the lock and nobody would ever have the courage to let her out said mr merrington i wonder now whom i had better send to carchester one man is already gone with a cart to fetch the doctor let me go said parry my little mare is as fresh as paint and with that light dog-cart behind her will get over to carchester in no time mr merrington readily accepted the offer but his thanks were interrupted by a servant who came with a pressing summons from mr cosmo fox i hope that unfortunate fellow is no worse said mr merrington eva my dear little girl shall i send susan to you no then do like a dear child go to bed there's no need to be in such a fright she can't get out and for that matter you can lock your door inside you know he kissed her hurriedly pushed her gently into her room closed the door and then returned with his companions to the hall here everything and everybody was in wild confusion mrs merrington had been carried to her room mrs cosmo fox leaving her husband to attend to the count had departed with her friends the remaining guests anxious to follow her example were all demanding their carriages at once whilst the servants much more concerned with the sensational events of the evening than with anything else were carrying out their orders with more haste than speed parry to lose no time went himself to the stable-yard where equal hubbub and even more din accompanied the harnessing of so many horses at once he found his own groom and was helping him to put his mare into the shafts when a footman came tearing across the yard with a note for mr lethbridge by the light of a stable lamp parry read in an unsteady scrawl which at first he hardly recognized i must see you before you go at once in the schoolroom i want to see how much you care for me how much you will do for me evelyn drive the mare round to the lime avenue and wait there till i come said parry as he tore off towards the house the hot-blooded animal was rearing with impatience by the time her master rejoined her i shall not want you jim he said to his groom as he sprang into the cart you will be more useful here meantime peace and quiet banished from every other corner of the house had found refuge in the schoolroom corridor the children themselves happily unconscious of all that had happened since they closed their eyes slept soundly susan the only servant who spent the night on this floor had gone down to join a select circle in the servants domain which discussed vociferously to a late or rather an early hour the tragedy of the night there was no one to see or to hear evelyn as she unlocked the door and entered mademoiselle x's bedroom mademoiselle x who was writing at a table opposite the door 
looked up as it opened with an expression of surprise which quickly changed to one of concern dear child she said laying down her pen how white how exhausted you look why are you still up you will be seriously ill mademoiselle i have come to show you how you may escape said evelyn in the forced voice of one who refrains from weeping only by a strong effort perry is now fetching a ladder from the garden he will bring it to your window here you can get down by that can you not and then find your way to the beaches across the park the same way we went this afternoon perry will wait for you with the dog-cart at the end of the beech avenue and then take you on with him to carchester he will put you down outside the town you know where the station is you can get there and be off by an early train to london before the news of of what has happened to-night can have reached the station people all this was spoken as quickly as possible evelyn paused breathless mr lethbridge will do this said mademoiselle Eeks admiringly yes he has promised how that boy loves you but mademoiselle for heaven's sake make haste not a moment is to be lost everybody is busy downstairs just now there is no one to see us or to notice us but in a few minutes it may be quite different evelyn hurried to the door and listened she could hear in the other part of the house the murmur of voices the rushing hither and thither the ringing of bells the opening and shutting of doors which rendered by contrast even more complete the silence and solitude of the gallery it is perfectly safe now she said returning to the table mademoiselle Eeks did not move she sat resting her chin upon her hand and looked pensively before her evelyn wrung her hands with irritation mademoiselle oh, what are you thinking of do you not understand perry is going to carchester to bring back the police do you not remember what papa says if you are found here they will take you back to prison and if the count dies they will hang me said mademoiselle Eeks, finishing the sentence which evelyn could not i do not see how i can escape i shall be observed if not on leaving the house or the park then in the dog-cart with mr lethbridge evelyn gazed at her in amazement for these excuses were brought forward in the manner of a person who is hunting for a pretext to avoid an unwelcome duty a slight noise was heard outside the window it is the ladder said evelyn mademoiselle Eeks did not stir and a look of moody displeasure gathered over her face evelyn rushed to the wardrobe and found a cloak and bonnet hurriedly tendering them to mademoiselle Eeks, she cried passionately please please dear mademoiselle put them on and go then mademoiselle Eeks seized the girl's slender wrists in a grasp which made her wince with pain and turned upon her a face literally blazing with fury why do you bid me go she cried what right have you to drive me back to life the life of a hunted beast bleeding and breathless with the bloodhounds always on his track she tossed evelyn's hands away from her sprang to her feet and commenced pacing the room i can endure it no longer after all my strength is the strength of a woman it is exhausted i can endure no more i have touched the point where fatigue is pain where struggle is torture ah sacred cause have i not suffered enough for you brothers miserable and oppressive have i not fought for you i have shed for you not my life-blood but my life itself drop by drop 
there is none left in my heart it is like a stone pity speaks there no longer let another come and take the place which i have held so long i ask only my wages i have earned them give me death let me die oh let me die the last words were called out as if wrung from her by intolerable pain she cast herself upon the ground and wept aloud with the terrible weeping of a strong creature who succumbs at last to a great strain evelyn feeling sick and faint had tottered to a seat against the wall she sat there leaning her head wearily back without attempting by so much as a word to check an outbreak so dangerous at such a time what does it matter was her feeling what does anything matter surely this is the shadow of death and something indeed died in evelyn that night never to live again the confidence of a happy child who accepts as a true reflection of existence her own most favoured and exceptional experience the vision of sorrow leaves us better or worse and i have often thought that the evelyn i have since learned to love and to honour for a sympathy which surmounts all bounds of creed or of country was born when first she felt the presence of that cross which while it crushes one of us must overshadow all of us in this great brotherhood of nations the panting sobs died gradually away leaving a weird stillness in the dimly lighted chamber for some time mademoiselle Ix lay so motionless that evelyn wondered dreamily if death had heard and granted her appeal but presently she stirred lifted herself up and rose or rather dragged herself to her feet laboriously and languidly like one enfeebled by long sickness or pain she crossed the room with a slow and almost unsteady step drank some cold water and bathed her face and hands when she turned she disclosed to evelyn a face livid indeed but with no other sign of the storm of feeling which had bathed it in agonized tears she threw herself at evelyn's feet with a smile which was at once radiant and sad forgive me i repulsed you i spoke roughly to you it was not i who spoke it was a demon whom i carry always here touching her breast a demon of selfishness and of cowardice sometimes when my nerves are overstrained as to-night he breaks his chain he tears me he masters me for the time i am at his mercy his accursed voice drowns every other but it is only for a time the true self is free again i flinch no longer since death does not seek me since it even rejects me there must be work still for me to do i obey you english angel-faced child i return to fulfil my task moving quietly but alertly she seized the papers on the table and thrust them into her breast found a little purse and put it into her pocket donned her bonnet and cloak and then threw open the window let me help you said evelyn going to her assistance the night was rainy moonless starless steeped in an inky blackness which the eye could not penetrate the air struck mild and wet against their faces far off in what seemed to evelyn a different world resounded shouts and the clatter of wheels on the stony pavement of the stable-yard nearer only the wind surging through the laurels with a long heavy sigh mademoiselle Ix descended the ladder deftly when her head was on a level with the window-sill she paused and looked up adieu adieu 
she whispered kissing the small clenched hands which held the latter firm for an instant the light from the room was on her upturned eyes and tenderly smiling mouth then the face vanished when the vibration of the foot upon the ladder ceased it seemed to evelyn as if mademoiselle Eeks had been swallowed up and lost in that great sea of outer darkness what has been hitherto told i have learnt chiefly from evelyn but the sequel has been related to me by various others perry's mare hardly justified her master's boast for she does not appear to have reached carchester till nearly three o'clock the police however were more expeditious and perry with an inspector beside him was able to leave carchester not much later than a quarter past three about four miles out of carchester occurred an accident which has always been a subject of speculation to mr lethbridge's groom and other persons aware that his dog-cart had been recently repaired a wheel came off after a little consultation it was arranged that in order to lose no time the inspector should walk on to mr merrington's while perry riding the mare as best he could should go back to carchester as quickly as possible to get another conveyance with this it was hoped he might be able to overtake the inspector before he had walked any considerable distance fortunately the inspector did not trust too much to this but walked on at a brisk pace for owing to some more complications of which the particulars have escaped me perry did not manage to start again from carchester as early as might have been expected and did not appear at mr merrington's until after the inspector had arrived there that was i believe about twenty minutes to six the doctor had just departed having given a most favourable report of the patient who was not nearly so dangerously wounded as had been at first supposed the inspector after some delay was conducted by the housekeeper to mademoiselle Ix's room when the fact of her disappearance was discovered the only person who might possibly have heard anything of this escape was the inmate of the next room miss merrington but her father would not allow her to be wakened till her usual hour on the ground that she had gone to bed thoroughly exhausted by the shock of the previous evening nor could the inspector though he did his best induce mr merrington to perceive how fatal was this delay to all hope of recapturing the fugitive till eight o'clock the inspector amused himself by breakfasting and examining the servants their simple explanation of the matter was that mademoiselle Eeks herself with admirable foresight late in the afternoon had placed the ladder where it was found one of the housemaids remembered hearing a curious noise outside mademoiselle Eeks's room when she the housemaid was lighting the fire there and a little stable-boy of celtic extraction had a dim recollection which grew more vivid with time of having seen the foreign governess loitering in the early dusk near the shed where the latter was usually kept this unreliable and not very instructive information was all the inspector was destined to receive for when at eight o'clock miss merrington was disturbed it was discovered that she was in no state to be questioned indeed her condition so alarmed her parents that a messenger was dispatched to hasten the promised return of the doctor after this nobody had a thought to spare for either mademoiselle Eeks or the inspector and he perceiving the case was hopeless returned quietly to carchester 
for three weeks evelyn was seriously ill and when she recovered all mention of mademoiselle Ixe's name and all allusions to the night of the ball were by the doctor's directions carefully avoided in her presence long before her convalescence however the count had recovered and departed never to be persuaded by all mrs cosmo fox's blandishments to visit lingford castle again the stagnant atmosphere of the neighbourhood was enlivened for months by the catastrophe and it was the one never-failing topic of conversation at all social gatherings from the groups at the church door to those at the covert side unless indeed mr or mrs barrington happened to be of the company as the first looked black and the second became hysterical whenever the subject was brought forward perry however inspired no such reserve and he was more than once cross-examined on the somewhat complicated story of his journey to carchester from this ordeal he emerged as skilfully as might have been foretold till by angrily refusing to answer any more questions he confirmed the suspicions his embarrassment had aroused it was mrs barnes who gave definite shape and distinct declaration to the vague belief that perry had been only too tenderly interested in mademoiselle Ixe's fate indeed this theory in her hands accounted for many puzzling features in the story no wonder the poor child was so ill she would say shaking her head and that the whole family have hushed the affair up as they have i cannot pity them i told them how it would be the excitement subsided after a time but mrs merrington's ball and its strange conclusion were still talked of at dinner tea and tennis parties for three years when a livelier theme was provided by miss merrington's marriage to mr lethbridge about six months after her marriage evelyn sat late one afternoon in the sitting-room which had been so lovingly and lavishly prepared for her especial use by a brisk walk through the crisp autumn air she had earned the keen enjoyment of warmth and repose she lay idly back in the deep softly cushioned chair watching the wood fire which flickered on the tiled hearth and flecked with sparkles of light the richly coloured stuffs and the shining surfaces china bronze and gold which lined every corner of this nest of luxury a pleasant little perspective opened before her of perry's return from shooting and afternoon tea she was too drowsy to think or even to dream she lay basking in the pleasant consciousness of one of those bright seasons when life is so enjoyable that we are apt to forget that it can be otherwise she was disturbed agreeably disturbed by the afternoon post there lay upon the salver strongly contrasting with the stiff monogrammed envelopes around it a small flimsy letter which bore the london postmark and was addressed in a minute foreign hand unknown to evelyn it was this letter which she decided to open first and she drew from the cover what is best described as a rag of paper torn begrimed and covered with close writing in brownish red ink if it were ink at all at the sight of that writing evelyn cried and started as if she had seen a ghost the ghost of one now three years dead to her too impatient to wait for a lamp she crouched upon the fender stool bending till her head was almost level with the bars to catch the glow of the fire upon the small dim characters of this extraordinary missive 
and this is the translation of what she read a russian prison eighteen eighty to us here in the darkness from which we shall soon pass to a still deeper darkness come stray hints and glimpses from the bright living world and thus i have heard of your marriage may you be happy and you will be happy it is the right of natures like yours do you think of me sometimes i think of you often and of all the kind innocent people around you and then strange hopes come to me for a world in which such lives are possible the prison walls vanish and i see the great elms and the flat meadows and the thatched cottages all sleeping in the english sunlight and i hear the voices of the english children singing he hath brought light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and i dream that there is a god who smiles at least upon england and that perhaps some day he will remember us too end of chapter six end of mademoiselle eeks